everybody wants to be a part of the culture until it's time to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive. So we're having the uncomfortable conversations needed to spark the change right here, right now. We're your hosts, Ty Devereaux Lawson. And I'm Simeon Coker. And we say all the things you wouldn't. Welcome back to the Mixed Company Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Mixed Company Podcast. Simeon, how you doing? I'm good. We've been really consistent to be in this year with recording. We've been, we've been so consistent. <laughs> I feel like we've we've breezed past like a level of burnout that we were chronically suffering with. And now this is just the new le- the new the new norm, right? I would say that, yeah, we've been um struggling to record since the pandemic. <laughs> I know we're on it, we're on the different, we're on the different side, I think. But the good part about that, as our guest today has just reminded us that it makes it easier that we have community. And I think that's what we've been doing. So we're excited to really just kind of tap into a really strong conversation about what it looks to be an intentional leader in in 2024 post-pandemic with one of our favorite people, one of the first people to really um, accept, acknowledge, and give platform to Mixed Company as a uh, as a podcast, as a platform, as some folks who had some things to get off their chest. So we welcome Leeson Stromberg to the table. Leeson, how are you? Oh, I am. I am honored to be here. And I have to share with you, I had this, as you were sh- talking, I was remembering the first time I heard your podcast. I was on a plane and I downloaded it. And I thought, who? this is amazing. I was literally like <laughs> shaking going, these people are incredible. I have to get to know them. And I think, did I just blindly reach out to you? Like, I don't remember how that all transpired or whatever, but I just think, thank you, whoever's in charge for bringing us I will, together. I will literally <laughs> retell the story, but that's funny because I'm like, you're being nice. It's probably like, who the fuck are these people? Who the fuck do they think they are? <laughs> oh, I'm not like, go, say it. <laughs> Tell us, preach, we need it. Oh my gosh. Well, this is, so this is the story and then I'll get into who you are and then we'll break for a quick dope shit, ain't shit. So Lisa, I know that you are paying attention to all things happening in corporate America and in, in the creative industries across the board. So if you have anything you want to share that's like, really, really, really uh, uh, good and really like capturing your attention, we want you to share. Or if there's something that you're like, Mm-mm, this is not worth shit, then we want to mm-hmm. talk about it too. Can I do both? Can you Teacher, do both? teacher, can I do both? <laughs> always do both with us. But this is how we met. And so, and and it's, it's you know, we had, we had Kat on, Kat Gordon at the start of last year's season or last season. Yeah. And to start um, with you this year, as well as one of our first few episodes, it means a lot. And really when we started the podcast, Mixed Company Podcast, we were just three young people in the industry. Shout out to Karina, um, our, one of our first co, uh, our first, first co-hosts. We just had a lot to say. The industry was in a situation very similar to where it is today. Tons of layoffs, people who are not necessarily valued within the industry um, were constantly being tossed to the side. And the conversations about whether or not having and maintaining inclusive environments was just top of mind. Like it was it was very blatant, but under, you know, discusses like, oh, we can't teach people taste and we can't teach people this. But meanwhile, we're contributing to the biggest 
part of the culture of this industry. And so we started out and we knew that, you know, we had some episodes and we needed to do some promo and we needed some content. And we heard about this conference called the the 3% conference. <laughs> yeah. And I think Simeon, you may have gotten Lisa's email from a good friend of ours, Miriam, right? Oh yeah, Miriam Gasu, yeah. who's so talented. Oh my gosh, she's fantastic. Miriam slid us your email and I was like, fuck it and reaching out. <laughs> we'll Thank see. you for doing that. We'll see what happens. And you reached out almost immediately. Yes, we'd mm. love to have you guys as our guests. Please come, here's some passes. And literally from there, back in 2016, yeah. Yeah. that is where this started. So we've come a long way. Yes, you have. Incredible. And I, you know, it's, it is amazing to be witness to the journey, right? They're, they're to honor that and to see how many places we go, right? So oh just wow. like the book, just like the just book. Like the book right? so, exactly. And you've had an extremely amazing journey as well. And I yeah. think that's the beautiful part to see on this side of, of, of creating community um, and engaging with people across the industry, like we get to see the leaders that we were looking up to before. How do our leaders grow? Because you don't stop growing. How do the people that give us platform create other platforms where we can share platform? And so you've done a lot. And especially uh, in the last 12 months coming, um, uh, presenting your book as the author of Intentional Power, the six essential leadership skills for triple bottom line impact. <laughs> Who doesn't want triple bottom line impact? Can somebody talk to my bank and this <laughs> economy about my personal triple bottom line impact? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? It's important. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> so is. that's what we're going to get into today. We're going to talk to you about what that impact looks like, what that mm -hmm. bottom line looks like. What is modern leadership? You talk a lot about modern leadership in the book. You gave us a great shout out in the book. Mm. And so we want to get into it because for not for nothing, Lisa, and I know you see it. Um, we just saw, you know, recent layoffs right after Super Bowl Sunday. We're seeing constant shifts in leadership and restructuring and change management across the industry. And the reality is, as, as uh, a business partner of ours pointed out yesterday, something we've said for a long time. This industry was this industry was developed a long time ago, and the culture mm -hmm. of that time is not sustainable for the culture of today. And there is some form of infrastructural reckoning that's happening, and that requires new leadership approaches. And mm -hmm. so, I think you've got the keys, unlike mm -hmm. maybe Alicia Keys and her first <laughs> number <of> Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, wow, we didn't have to do that. <laughs> I can follow those keys. Oh my gosh. It's not the first one, maybe the second or the third. Listen, that's it. But you have the keys. And so we want to talk to you about it. So I'm excited. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited too. I remember like you talking about 21st century leadership when we first met. And so you actually have those conversations in a book that can basically live with us forever. I think it's going to be a good foundation for the next generation of workers and, and this one that's right here right now. Yeah, right. Because right near right now, you are the leaders, right? You yeah. these you are it, right? We keep talking about Imagine. them up up there. I say yeah. put those in quote yeah. air quotes, but you're it. So somebody let us grow up. We don't know who let us grow up. <laughs> I don't know who did it. I don't know if I was emotionally ready, but we're here. We're here. Good luck to everybody. Yeah. Sorry, the babies coming up yeah. behind us. We're doing the best we can with what we got. 
<laughs> and I think that place of humility is really, we're doing the best we can and we're keeping to grow and we're going to keep learning and we're going to keep trying to do better. Right? Yep. We are. Speaking of doing better, I think it's time for us to start talking about what's going on in the mm. world, in the in the industry, in creativity, mm. and just mm. handle a little dope shit, ain't shit business. And yeah. so I'd like to start off with, I'd, I, I'd like to start off, I too would like to present two options, teacher, teacher of dope shit and ain't shit. And I'll start with the dope shit. We're coming off of the week of um, the the biggest night in advertising and apparently also in football um, for those of you that guys, other thing that, other, that thing. other thing I don't know you might be you might be a San Francisco fan you might be a Chiefs fan I'm an Eagles fan so as far as I'm concerned it was all advertising just noise exactly. <laughs> it was just noise just noise um, but we're coming off of the Super Bowl and I would like to start with my dope shit um the dope shit for me I think Verizon killed it there were a couple mm -hmm. Verizon Doritos uh, they definitely killed it for me in terms of the level of creativity that they brought and excitement that they brought mm -hmm. to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, growing up watching this with my with my parents and just always being excited about what we were going to see, mm -hmm. always being excited about the plot lines and kind of how the commercials and the spots at the time were almost, you know, they were like blockbuster movies, if you will. And so both the Verizon and Beyonce uh, uh, break the internet, break the network conversation, as well as uh, Doritos and their Dinamita or Dynamite um, uh, uh, spot where they kind of leaned into that Latino audience, but also really brought the creativity, really brought the the celebrity and really utilized the, the, the nuance behind that multi-generational household without being corny about it. Mm -hmm. And so I loved those. I know uh, Doritos kind of came out a couple weeks early, so they've been teasing and dropping. That was really dope. Um, Verizon, they just told us they were going to have a big star, and baby, did they? Mm -hmm. They, the biggest mm -hmm. of the big, in, in, in collaboration with uh, her music drop with Parkwood yeah. Entertainment, and I thought that was fantastic how that worked together. Um, a special shout out to DoorDash, who had me really trying my best mm -hmm. to figure out what this code was before <laughs> I gave up. And to be fair, DoorDash codes are, are long and difficult and, and complex as they are. So to add in an entire like soliloquy for me to put into that <laughs> box was, you know, you 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 had me at try and that's all I could give you. So. I was really impressed with those spots. They gave me the excitement I think that we deserve as consumers watching the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. um, my ain't shit is the rest of y'all. Um, I have never felt, I have never, I was so bored with so many of, of the spots. And I think this is an extension off of what we've seen the last two years where there's a lot of reliance on celebrity to bring mm -hmm. the excitement to creativity and kind of, forgetting that there is a navigation within culture that is required to make sure you understand what what makes people tick mm -hmm. and I didn't get that what I got was formula what I got was dress up what I got was take what we give you and for seven million dollars and let's be clear for seven million dollars a spot mm -hmm. to give us what you gave and and to not be mentioned and then turn around and have to have your agencies lay lay off mm. hundreds of people because mm. from a business perspective, you don't have enough to sustain them. 
is awful. Mm. It is it is condescending and it's unacceptable. It's and bad management. It's bad management. Mm. And so, you know, I want everybody to know I was counting everybody's pockets every time I saw mm -hmm. a, um, a commercial come on because mm -hmm. that's $7, $7 million just in media. Mm -hmm. So that's not your agency fee. That's not mm -hmm. out of pocket. That's not whatever you paid on the brand side. There's a lot of money spent that night to not come correctly and to not be entertaining. Mm -hmm. And I was watching. So that's my yeah. dope mind shit. How about you, Cindy? What's yours? Um, I'm in alignment with the, actually both of yours. Um, I think the Super Bowl is like one of those nights where we've all been in these briefings where the client's like, I want to be a part of culture. I want to be a, how, how do you make me go viral? And I think what we saw on Super Bowl night was the same old guards in charge of what goes out into the public. The The majority of the comedy skewed very old white man. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was very pleasing for them, For but for people who are actually in tune with culture, it felt very dry. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Beyonce, what, what I loved about the Beyonce one was that it was a brand actually utilizing culture, right? Mm -hmm. Music is an artifact in culture. They knew that if, obviously it's Beyonce, um, but they knew that if they were able to be a part of this big drop, then we will forever associate Verizon with Beyonce. Um, I think the other one that I liked on Super Bowl was the Cardi B Knicks um, version. Okay. I, I did like it because, especially like hearing the story behind it, obviously Cardi B, infamous for WAP, is very um, vulgar, if you will. <laughs> um, but when they shot the original uh, spot, the NFL rejected it. And so oh, what wow. you saw on uh, this during the Super Bowl was the censored spot. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, what's, what does this QR code lead to? So I actually saw the longer spot, which I thought was was pretty funny. So I would say for Verizon and Beyonce, they, their spots made me act. I went mm -hmm. in looking for something based off of what they showed. Um, so I would say they, they were the winners for the night for me. So I'll, I'll step back and say, I was kind of looking at the meta, meaning you know, when Audi came out, was this two years ago, three years ago? I forget. It's all a blur, you know, but, oh, it's all about pay equity. Of course, they had no pay equity. They had no women leadership, you know, that whole performative stuff. And there was that kind of couple of years we were we were being incredibly performative. And um, what I actually liked about these Super Bowl ads, besides the content, let's just forget the content. You guys can deconstruct that. You're creatives. You can do all that. As a businesswoman, I look at this and say, oh, we're done telling women, you know, uh -huh. what it's about. We're actually realizing they are the consumer, yeah. right? And so if you looked at the ads, so many of the ads were actually focused on women as a consumer. They were. Right? The, 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 all the makeup ads. Yeah, exactly. All of that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that to me was fascinating. Women weren't an object. They weren't, you know, which of course the old ads used to be, right? They aren't an object anymore. Well, maybe they are, but let's just say, at least it's not for the Super Bowl this year. They aren't something we're telling you, this is what you are going to get, or we are going to share our power with you. No, they're like, oh yeah, you got power and we got to yeah, entice nice. you and we got to engage you. To me, that was a, that was a win. And I liked that. I agree um, with that. I definitely saw that come through from... Yeah. Uh, Intuit TurboTax. I thought that yes. was really yes. interesting how they used Quinta B for that. Um, mm -hmm. Sarah B, I thought was really interesting as well, how that came through. And witty, witty, right? Very That's just witty. witty. Very tongue yes. in cheek in, in, yes. in a way, in that way. 
there were where I was like, it, it was clear to me that the audience, with the exception for Bud Light, which I think they just completely went way, <laughs> way old school, nineteen sixties into the into the base. But I I definitely saw a few where it was like, oh, you're talking to women. Women are who yes. you want to make the purchases, yes. and that was clear. So I I I hear you, yeah. and I'm on that. Yeah, I like that. Oh boy, did you have a did you have an ancient? Did, did I hear that? Or oh well, I'll, I, I, you know, it's, it was generational. My my Super Bowl party was with four uh, eighty year old, 80, 85, 87 year olds. You know, four 13 year olds, and kind of, and then there was me and my brother in the middle, right? You know, <laughs> renting, representing Gen X, man. There we are. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and it was hilarious to see the two reactions because you know, who my 80 year old relatives recognized and understood and connected with and who the little 13 year olds connected with and then who my brother, it was literally a generational experience. And so I, I thought that was very interesting too. All of us had something to attach to and all of us were also befuddled. Wait, who's that again? I, we got, we're Googling the whole time, you know, wait a minute, I don't know who's that. Um, and then and it was cute to see the little, the little ones just like getting up there and engaging, you know, but it was fun. I love that to me that you know that's what it's about right let's get the generations okay. together and let's engage and we were engaged so i love it i love it and you know who else needs to be engaged leeson mm. our business leaders yeah a little bit more engaged yeah. and luckily though i will say and and you know i think this is the best transition into the work that you've been doing over the last decade i could see that there are a lot more people focused on building a more holistic and more empathetic leader. There are a mm -hmm. lot more books that are written by more than men telling you how mm -hmm. to appear to be in charge and how to show your power and exert your power. Mm -hmm. We've gotten to the point where there are more opinions than just mm -hmm. you need to lean in, that there are other ways to engage. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at least as far as I think we are concerned as Mixed Company, the podcast, how we've engaged with you, You've been leading that charge. I think mm -hmm. in terms of intersectionality and really bringing that to the to the forefront of leadership, I think you are one of the, the first people that I remember really talking about, hey, it's not about excluding men from the conversation. We're, no. we're not saying let's erase the patriarchy, but we are saying there's- Well, we are. Well, <laughs> let's just not erase the men that are part of the, the patriarchy. Men. The men, the patriarchy <laughs> can go, but you can leave some some of the men. <laughs> <laughs> many, 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 many. <laughs> so with that, I really want to just pivot and start talking about you, Lisa, and really mm. want to get into what you've been doing. Tell us a, a little, so you have some news. So tell us, yes. start by telling us a little yes. bit about your work with Prism Work yeah. and what that news is, and then we'll get into your book. Yeah. Um, thank you. So it, it's, it's so funny. When I left 3%, the work that I truly loved doing was working with um, companies, agencies, or even some of the brands to help them really understand how could they align their culture, their leadership, you know, make it sort of a 360 experience. Your marketing may be great. Oh, that's amazing. But how are you showing up internally? How are you showing up for the people, right? The other stakeholders, right? Not just your investors, but and and, and the consumers you're trying to buy into your brand. For me, that was so important. And I and I just was passionate about it. And I was lucky enough to partner with a number of people who agreed with me on that one. They too felt that. And so we founded um, uh, Prism Work and sort of started it in 2020, but really officially became a company 
uh, incorporated in uh, January of 2021. And watching that journey of, of being a CEO of a startup, you know, we were not funded. It was sort of bootstrapped kind of experience and, and running that business and really finding product market fit and doing all these things that you two are going to be doing, are doing right now as you're figuring out what your agency is, you know, going to be about. To me, that was such a gift. And to be working with people whom I adored and, and collaborating with were incredible. For three years, we've been in it. We've been building this business. We've been doing incredible work. It's been, you know, the research we've done around women and particularly women of color in corporate America and the learnings there. The research we did, you know, that's that that was incredible. Um, how her redefined if looking if you're looking for it.com. The work we did around men in corporate America and how men are facing inclusion and what are their roles and how do they see their own power. We did that uh, with the support of the Kellogg Foundation. That was really foundational. The summit that we had for men last called Reset last winter. All of the clients who I can't name, sadly, uh, about the work that we did helping uplevel their leadership and helping look at their, their cultures or programs or policies or practices. It's been an incredible ride. And for me, it also became quite clear that the what I wanted to do is have more almost more quiet in my life. It's a big job to be a CEO. I'm so in awe. I've learned so much. It's a big job to run a startup. And I loved it. But what I realized is what I really also love is to have that enough quiet to be creative. And so I found I wasn't having enough time to be creative. I wasn't having enough time to do, do also the work I love. And so in conversations with my business partners, um, we talked and it was like, well, we can all go our separate ways or we can keep the organization going, keep the momentum going. And I'm just so thrilled that my partner, Corey Jones, we passed the baton, literally passed the baton, and he's now CEO of Prison Work, and he's going to take it to his own future and his own vision. And I'm so excited for him. And much some of the team stayed, other couple of people were staying on as collaborators. I'm going to be an advocate. I'm still a minority investor, and I want it to be hugely successful. And I'm pausing. I'm pausing to give myself space to hear what I need, what I want, what the world wants of me, how I can be of value, what what is what's out there that needs to be solved. And I'm in a, I'm in a listening tour, you know, where like I literally is just taking a moment to listen. And um, part okay. of that was the book. I, I've just had such an incredible experience with writing and, and talking about intentional power. Thank you. Um, and, um, and really hearing this, this, this clarion call of we need a different kind of leadership. We need to do it differently. And why is this so hard? So that's been the joy. Yeah. And and that felt like a, a plug for your last book also, Work Life, Work Pause Thrive. Right. Um, it's like doing again, basically in this moment right now. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting to me about the book is you start talking about the modern leader. Um, and to quote one of the things it said, uh, inspire free people, societies and cultures to move courageously toward mutually beneficial positions where all can thrive and um, be responsible when we when we hear a lot of modern leaders talking this is the way that they talk about their roles right like mm. coming out of of um, uh, the 2020 racial uprising coming out of my mind just went blank but um the times up movement yeah. there were a lot of leaders that um started to shift how they spoke publicly about mm -hmm. how they lead so i'm guessing my my um 
initial question is, who would you say is equipped to be a modern leader um, according to your book, Intentional Power? Like, how would you describe them? What are some of those traits that mm. you think are essential for 21st century leadership, which is one of the terms that I use all the time that you gave me a couple of years mm. ago. Like, how would you describe this modern leader? It, so I, I thank you for asking. It's I'm in the midst. I teach a class at Stanford on modern leadership and it's so cool. It's a kind of a, it's a, it's not large. We try and limit it to about 35 and they're global mid-career uh, leaders. Uh, literally we have wonderful Anne calling in from Nairobi and Jorge calling in from Buenos Aires. I mean, it's literally, and they meet Poor Anne's getting up at literally, I think it's four in the morning for her. I don't know. But anyways, point being, they're all coming together and we're trying to understand what does leadership look like? And what I love about teaching that class and just teaching in general um, with leaders is we're all learning together, right? So, so let me start there. It's all evolving. That mm -hmm. said, um, the research that we had done that that is sort of started with the class and the research we've done, we interviewed literally hundreds of leaders around the globe, surveyed thousands more to understand what are those core sort of competencies, those core traits of a modern leader. And it became very clear that there were six, and that's kind of the subtitle of the book, right? The six essential leadership skills. And those core skills are humility, right? Servant leadership, how do I show up with hum humility and humanity is my focus. Empathy, which is so complex, right? How do I not burn myself out and yet still show up to support you? Accountability, not just to my career, but to the world at large, to my team, to the world at large, to something bigger than just me, right? So it's about we, not me. Resiliency, how do I do it again and again? We were talking about chaos is the new normal, right? That was what you said earlier. It's like, that's true, right? Transparency, how do I show up so that you can trust me and, and that you know that it's not performative? And even I might not have all the answers and I'm learning and I'm gonna screw up. How do you support me so that I can make those mistakes and become a better leader together, right? How do we do that? And then obviously foundational to all of this is inclusivity. You cannot be a leader in today's world without understanding that inclusivity has to be foundational to what you do. So those core elements, those core, we call them power skills. Some people call them soft skills, right? Now, right? Yeah. Soft skills are hard, right? Hard skills, learning the technical, learning how to code AI, chat GPT. That's a hard skill. You can learn that. The power skill, the soft skills, those are hard. And so for us learning those and figuring out how you operate each and every day with those as your North Star, to me is very, is very, um, is the work we need to do. Yeah. Sure. Reframing soft skills as power skills feels like That's my favorite. The way, the way to move forward. Because as, as you were listing all of these traits, the thing that stood out to me was these are traits that you kind of need to have in your personal life you don't, if you don't want to be an asshole. Um, and so I think that there's... <laughs> how to be... A, maybe it should be not to how to be a leader, how to be a human. I think when people are thinking about leadership, and I think one of, one of the pitfalls of corporate America is that in order to move up, you have to become a leader. Mm -hmm. But when people are thinking about if they want to take that position, because it should be a choice... Do you exhibit these traits in your personal life, right? Like, because if you're not able to have humility in the conversations that you're having with your family members or have empathy when you're dealing with somebody on the street or accountability when somebody says you're wrong, like, 
then you're probably not going to be a good leader because it's kind of hard to switch hats, especially when you're talking about just dealing with humans, right? It's all mm-hmm. human interaction. So I think there's like this, this intersection between the personal life and the professional life that I don't think a lot of people think about when they're thinking about leadership, because it's usually just about those hard skills that you're talking about that people assess whether or not somebody's ready to step into that leadership role. And so re- I mean, you said so many, oh, oh, sorry. Kind of, you know, no, I was just so, saying reframing it as the power skill is what is actually going to change that narrative. Yeah. So, so um, you said so many important things that I would like to address, which is, I think our legacy thinking, and I, I, I'm right there with you, is that, that leadership is a title. Leadership is a, a, a position. Uh-uh. You are the perfect example of modern leaders because you didn't have a title when you started the Mixed Company podcast, but you came out and you had influence and you stepped into your authority. You had stepped into your intentional power and said, I actually have a point of view. I'd love to share that. And I think the world needs to hear it. That to me is modern leadership, right? And that can happen at any level of the organization. What I find so fascinating when I work with quote unquote leaders, C-suite types, they're stunned that social media is impacted into their, like they gave a talk to their team team, and suddenly it's on social media and oh my God, I'm being misquoted. I'm like, dude, dude, (laughs) it's, you know, the buck doesn't stop here. And Simeon, you said, it's like who we are in that whole world environment. And we're human. We make mistakes. We do our best. We fall down. We got to get back up. But it's also how we hold each other accountable for those mistakes, right? It's like, can I screw up? And can you give me the grace? One, communicate to me, hey, that was a screw up. Can I hear it? That's the humility. And can I then change my behavior or try and work with you? That to me is what a modern leader, that's the humility and the empathy and the accountability. That's all of it rolled into one, right? And we need more of that. Everyone's so afraid of cancel culture. And I'm like, get over it. Like go out there and be a modern leader and learn, right? You made a mistake. You're right. You did. Okay. Well, it happens. Go out there, learn. Um, You can come play with us any day. Like for real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It sucked. And we're going to do better. (laughs) Do better. Hopefully, you know, and it won't be exactly perfect because it never is, but we're going to try. You you mentioned something that was really interesting was that um, the leaders can rise from any level. And when you talk about cancel cancel culture, the way that I interpreted it after you said that was the younger leaders are basically fostering a culture of transparency. Right. Because ultimately, like all they're canceling is basically showcasing what happened. Right? They're they're giving or reca- recapping a bad thing that happened, and the people who did it are more than likely not able to hold themselves accountable or have the humility to learn from that experience. And I think that's where it becomes a cancel because I I don't think we have a lot of examples of leaders who made their way back, but ultimately the reason why they've had to leave whatever spotlight they were in is because they didn't have the humility to accept the responsibility for their actions, for their Mm -hmm. behaviors in a way that you know, it's acceptable. Like it's, it's, mm. it shows humility that you actually messed up. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting, right? That's power. That mm. is power to be able to say, wow, I I'm learning. Thank you for that. That's so amazing. Um, what I also think though, is we have to be able to provide grace to people who've done that. When can, how can, when can we welcome them back in? Right. Is there, how do we do that in a way that says, yeah, you, you did that. That's not cool. And, you know, okay, you're, you've learned from it. That's cool. How do we then 
work together moving forward, right? How do we navigate that? And for me, that goes back to just keep showing up, just keep trying, yeah. right? And create grace for people who screw up so that they can learn and grow, right? So now, of course, there's also, there's lines. <laughs> there's lines yeah. to be drawn. There's total <laughs> lines, but I think you're, you, oh gosh, what was I, what was I watching? Um, it'll come to me. Um, there was a, there was something on TV. It might've been at the Grammys. Oh, it was Jay-Z. Yeah. Duh. It was Jay-Z talking about like, you're not always going to get everything just up front. And I think that that stands mm -hmm. in the same context of grace. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something to be said for asking for, asking for grace. Like if mm -hmm. that's what you want, you do have to ask for grace. And, and the asking is not just the verbal, hey guys, can you forgive me? But it is the showing up. It is the keep trying. It is to doing what you can within the power you have, be it a hard power or a soft skill turned into power or whatever, mm. but showing up consistently in that space. And I think that that's the through line that Simeon's talking about where, mm. you know, when we're talking about things as soft skills and we're perceiving it as negative and not necessarily influential, you're negating the fact that sometimes that might be the better. Sometimes you got to use the silver key and not the brass key to get into the door. And mm. so I think that that's super important. Yeah. Talking about grace, we are, we are, <laughs> there's so many ways I can describe what 2024 mm. could potentially be mm. culturally for business, for the economy, mm. for creativity, for politics, for education, for everything. There are a lot of different things happening right now mm. globally. And so, and there are a lot of leaders that we're looking to right now to see how they manage the the chaos, the normal chaos that is now 2024. And so there's something really um, almost spiritual about the fact that you, you guys, you wrote this book, it's out in the world, and that we are literally looking to who are the people that are going to guide all of us forward, if not just for ourselves. Who are the leaders that are going to take us into the future? And so I want to get a sense from you, you know, what made this the right time mm. to write and launch this type of book? Mm. I guess all day long, but I wasn't in the room. I wasn't in the Google Doc when you got <laughs> your writing. So I want to get a sense of like, what made you guys say that this is what we need to talk about and this is the right moment for it? Oh, that's such a great question. And here, I'm going to get a little wonky here. So sorry, this is the professor in me, right? The macro trends, right? What's happening? Everyone kept saying, oh my God, COVID disrupted everything. We got to get back to the way things were, right? All of that, right? <laughs> we're not going back, people, right? There's just no going back. There's only going forward. There's the here and now and going forward. So I started saying, well, what are we going to go back to? What's happening, right? And then I think this is where the wonky part gets in. I started going down an economic circle and started saying, oh, wait a minute. The role of the corporation, the role of business is fundamentally shifting. Mm -hmm. And that's the rub. We used to, thank you, Milton Friedman, Nobel Prize winning economist, 1970, came out and said, the number one role of corporate America is profit. Mm -hmm. Driving profit's what mattered. And that narrative is what 
led to every single policy, employees being, you know, just irrelevant. They don't matter. Customers are just a tool. Like it became- Getting rid of pension. Let them save their own money. We lost our empathy. Exactly. We lost our connection, our empathy, all of those things. And that's how business has been run. I went to an MBA school. I got my MBA and I'm telling you, that's what I learned. It's all about greed, greed, greed. Like, thank you, right? Uh Uh-uh, not anymore. The truth of the matter is, and the research shows us again and again, right? It's how we show up with our higher purpose. And, you know, we talk about corporate purpose, blah, blah, blah. I'm literally talking about triple bottom line impact. We don't have time to say we can't focus on our employees because, you know, we just have to get them to get to work. The only way to get them to work is to have empathy around them. The employee experience should be number one in your priority. Mm -hmm. The customer experience, and that means making sure that they really feel deeply connected to you. It's so obvious, hard to do if you're just thinking about profits. Mm -hmm. If we shift to a stakeholder, i.e. we're elevating the other things besides just profits, just shareholder value, and shift those things and say those also drive value for us. And the role of the corporation isn't just shareholder value, but it's actually stakeholder value. Suddenly, the planet, the people we interact with, and profits, the three Ps, become vitally important. That is my lecture for the day. That to me was the fundamental shift and leaders are caught, right? Leaders, and I, in the traditional sense, who've been trained, leaders my age, who've been trained that this is the way we lead, this is what matters, they're caught in this blind side, right? And so what they're, they're like, wait a minute, there's these shifting forces, how do I navigate it? And they're looking for blame because it's scary and it's chaotic. And my answer is, you're right, it's scary and chaotic. You need to learn how to be a different kind of leader. It's yeah. so interesting. I remember... I, I, you know, I started my career in the industry as a project manager, and I remember the um, the sentiment, and I, I imagine it's still like this for a lot of people in a lot of places, but as the project manager, apparently you, I was supposed to have the least amount of power, but I also had the most knowledge of the project. And, and what is power? And and <laughs> what is power, right? And, and one of the things that I noticed was exactly what you're talking about, and it's this using business and profit as a way to motivate your people to get you more business and profit wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so the minute that I started to lean into just the acknowledging that people were people and they had other things to do and to dealing with them on a human basis and like making sure that their needs are met. Have you been fed today? Mm -hmm. Have you, have you been around the people you loved today? Mm -hmm. Did anybody give you fresh air today? Like those little things ended up increasing productivity on all of the projects. And, and for me, like taking that into the inclusion work, taking Mm -hmm. that into the operations work when I was doing that at, at a media agency and just really understanding like how to get people to move in the way you need them to move, to make more money, Mm -hmm. I am more likely able to get you to stay up and work until 2 a.m. on a project if you and I have a better rapport and you believe that I am not lying to you, that I actually care about you, that I too find myself in this predicament where I don't want to be up this late, but that I want to make sure that you get what you need so that the business gets what they need so that we can all be home by five o'clock the next day. That found me in a space where I was able to navigate through more projects. And I know that there were a lot of people 
that I worked with that didn't understand that. It would frustrate them. There was one person I worked with. She was a UX designer. And she was like, Kai, I, I go to yoga at six o'clock and, and I'm not, not going to yoga. And I was like, okay, if you go to yoga, can you come back? Mm -hmm. Yes. So six o'clock she goes and everybody's freaking out. She can't leave. She can't leave. And I'm like, everybody take half a chill pill or whatever right. pill you're on, really. Right. She's coming back and the work will get done faster because she'll be in a better mood. And lo and behold, we were out before midnight. And so I think about those experiences often when I think mm -hmm. about leadership and I think about all of these companies and leaders who are trying to force people back into the office and trying to go back to the way things were before 2020 and just realizing there is going to be a slowdown in productivity just by the sheer focus on trying to get back to something that was never real to begin with. Well, it never worked for most of us. It never it worked. worked. Right? Yeah. That, never. I think that whole, the culture of like survival of the fittest was the worst culture, right? Which is why there was a great resi re resignation. I think the underlying um, call to action was that employees wanted to feel nurtured, right? You're basically taking up the majority of my life every week um, when I'm at work. And so there should be some sort of give and take. And the give the give doesn't necessarily need to be this, um, this crazy gesture. It just needs to be what Kai was talking about. Go to yoga at six and come back when when you're done, which makes me think of the the Paramount layoffs um, in the last couple of days where the CEO, his quote was, um, your talents have helped us advance our mission. And then everyone was laid off. And it's like, see ya. And then it's like, see ya. Like, and I think when I started thinking about these, these traits that you're talking about, like it just lacks the empathy, right? To say that I, I thank you for your time, but also you're done here. You're mm. fired. Mm. And I think right now there's like this, this push from the younger generation to basically say like, it, we want to be nurtured, right? Yeah. And if we're nurtured, then we can actually produce more for you. And one of the things that I want to talk to you about is because obviously these conversations have been happening. You go to a leaders conference, all the leaders are on stage, they're touting all of this, these things that they're doing. But then we go on fishbowl and we see completely different stories. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you're obviously writing this, wrote this book because it worked. Without naming names, could you point to some case studies that people or one or two case studies that people may find in this book that really showcase if you are this type of leader, it will impact your bottom line, like you mm. will increase your business um, and everybody will be happy. Mm. There's there's so many. I want to tell you, I'm going to give an example of where it didn't work. And, mm. I, and, I, and this is one of our clients that I that we kind of allude to in the book. Don't mm. we? They're a fast growing startup in Silicon Valley. They hit, didn't hit, and they they had all the right intentions, right? They wanted to create an inclusive culture. They wanted to they wanted to get it right. They really did, and so they brought us on to work with them, and and um, we evaluated all their policies and programs. We helped them reset those things. We kind of developed a crawl, walk, run strategy. Here you go. Here's what you can do in the short term, and and we did some leadership development with some of their senior leaders. But at the end of the day, their number one failure, I think, was well, two things, but one of it was communication. They were doing things, but they weren't communicating what they were doing. And so mm -hmm. in a transactional environment, if I don't know what your vision is, what you're trying to get me to do, and all I know is what you're doing today, I struggle because I create my own narrative, right? Yep. 
So for example, they had pay equity from the get-go and all we heard from women again and again in the company, they didn't think there was pay equity. And I'm like, I got the data here. There is pay equity here. You've got it. You know, you're, you know, I know, but there was a narrative there that they weren't communicating. So, so some of the big failures I see is frankly, what our industry is a lack of communication about, Hey, we are doing some good things. Right. Irony. So we forget that. Right. Irony. Right. There's that. <laughs> the other thing is this company did go through some layoffs and here's where they failed. It was classic. They literally didn't look at um, bias in the layoffs. And so they didn't take the time to figure out that, in fact, they were a majority culture of um, men and um majority men, but not so much. They were, they were, they kind of were a little better than the tech industry. Let's put it this way. When it came to women and people of color, et cetera. But if you look at who they laid off, the first layoff they went through was a majority women and um, people of color. And we had to challenge them. We were not part of that layoff process. And so we had to challenge them because we knew that it was going to happen again. You need to rethink this strategy and ask each manager, why are you choosing that person? What's the underlying issue around that? That to me is so obvious and yet it doesn't happen at all. So, so, so having the awareness of your choices to me is so important. So that's the negative. Who's doing it right? Um, well, there's so many examples, but there, what I, one of the companies that I'm really following with interest is ServiceNow. Uh, we actually profiled one of their, their uh, CFO um, and what she's doing as the CFO is embedding triple bottom line impact into everything she does. She's literally making sure that she's not blowing it if they have layoffs, which they haven't lately. But if they were to have layoffs, that it wasn't just the mm -hmm. women and, you know, people of color, whatever. Like she's being very intentional about all the things that she's doing. She's making sure that their systems are uh, appropriate in terms of procurement for the planet. I mean, I just kind of love their narrative. So I'm watching them to see, huh, what's going on here, right? One yeah. of the things I think is interesting is their CEO actually is um, challenged. He has a visual ch uh, challenge and it okay. came later in life. So he's got a disability. Yeah. And I think for him, that was a bit of an epiphany. So that's just one example of companies I'm watching. I think in our own industry, I am a huge fan of Kristen Cavallo and I watch her and just think, that's the way I want to be when I grow up, right? She she's uh, you know passed the baton of CEO of Martin. It's now Danny Robinson, and I sort of, and I just think you know there's ways to do it. And I've watched uh, Kristen's career, and I've been in, inspired by the things that she's doing. And I think yeah, you know, none of us are perfect, but boy, she's doing a lot more right. And, right. and I think that's really inspiring. So what I find so fun when when I when I am out there talking to students or to, uh, to colleagues everyone's got that one leader that none of us have heard about, right? Mm -hmm. So I just met someone and she introduced me to, this is an old leader, so scratch. Frances Perkins, anyone know who that is? No. Oh, right, I had never heard of her either. Thank you, hello history. Turns out she was the secretary of labor under Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It's Frances Perkins that we have minimum wage thankful for. She's the one who actually drove all of the policies, the kind of worker policies that allow us. She is a so inspiring. She was a behind the scenes leader. She did all this stuff that was so essential to the New Deal, to all of our policies and programs that we have around supporting workers in our country. She was, she was, she was the real deal. No one's heard of her. So my point being, there are yep. these people out there doing the work that we don't know about and just gathering them and seeing them to me is is so inspiring.
Mm. Absolutely. So I know we're getting close to a time where it's like we've got tons of things to do and we could ask you questions mm. forever. And so we'll probably just do that in a group chat. But my <laughs> last question for you is going to be around transparency. And, and I bring that up because you are talking about those layoffs. And I think mm. when we talk about pay equity, when we talk about, you know, who who gets um it was some article I saw the other day and they're like, there's so many different creative ways to say layoff these days, right? Mm, However, mm. we decide what we're calling it when we're mm. letting people go, what do they look like? There's not a lot of transparency in terms of what the business is really doing in terms of where the, where under uh, underrepresented individuals actually sit within your company. There's a reason why they tend to People of color and women tend to be the first out. And it's mm -hmm. because they're usually the last in and also mm -hmm. in those roles where that we might say are redundant or mm -hmm. that we don't need. And that's because we're not necessarily always putting people in roles where like we need them or that we're mm -hmm. putting them in places where they would be most valuable. And so transparency, I think, is a really tough one for advertising. Mm -hmm. And we know this because of all of the articles. We know this because of experiences. If if nothing else that 2020 showed our industry is that there is a huge fear of transparency. Smoke and mirrors is literally the root of marketing 101, right? How do we say one thing even though the impact we want is something else? And so my final question to you, Leeson, is how do you think leaders can overcome their fears about losing money, trust, power, or whatever else if they're too, if they're too transparent? Because we need to get them over that hump. Mm. So it's transparency is such a funny thing, right? It's 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 really about trust, and you're asking that really powerful question. How can I trust you? Frances Frey at Harvard Business School does. She wrote a really great book, and she talks about trust being a triangle, right? Am I showing up authentic? Do I have the data or the information that you know I'm kind of competent? And do you believe that I have your best interests at heart, right? Those are the triangles of trust. That's the triangle of trust. And what you're saying is that there's a there's a fall down, there's a there's a failure there. I I I think, let's see, how do I answer this? One, I think that there are so many ways that leaders could be transparent and they are starting to see this. We're starting to see them say, here's our in the tech industry, right? We've been doing work in the tech industry. Here's our data. We're willing to show up our data. We're willing to say, here's the data of our diversity or whatever it looks like, right? They're doing that. That's amazing. What I'm finding fascinating is you have leaders who overshare, meaning, oh my God, you know, we're we're gonna, we don't know what the situation looks like. You actually have to not share everything to a certain degree because you want people to have to reduce their anxiety and think, I'm gonna be out of a job. Oh my God, I can't focus which isn't lying necessarily. It's like, it, it could turn around. I don't know, but we're going to do our best. And here are the five ways we think it's going to go forward. To me, that is the nuance, that that knowing when to say what in a way that actually doesn't freak out your employees and puts them in a state of, I'm so anxious, I can't get my job done. Or there's going to be lives, we're going to be, I'm going to be screwed. Versus here's the vision. Here's what we're working towards. We're going to do it together. I need you to help me buy into this. Here's how I want to help empower you to help us do all these things. That's a nuance that's very hard to do. And I don't see many people doing it well. We have um, we have guest executives come to the class I teach at Stanford. And we had one really amazing guy, um, uh, Jose Alvaros. And he was at um, Intel for a very long time. And he had to downsize a big department. 
And his journey around that was really fascinating. He said, I'm not going to lay, just lay people off. I'm going to make sure they're placed in the right situation, either within the company or elsewhere. So he literally dedicated his next year, in addition to his full-time job, making sure that every person he laid off was well launched. That is and my dream. That right? is a dream. I have begged for for teams to actually pay that much attention. That is a dream. Right. Because think of what he did. He he has built so much loyalty in the result of that, right? It they may not have stayed at his company, but they they went on to do other good things, which of course ended up being, he ended up sharing a story about a client, which was a person that he had had to lay off, right? And they ultimately became a client of his over time. How you navigate these things is so important. I love the stories when there's layoffs in Silicon Valley, where they'll create a Google Doc and here are the people, here's yep. their contact information. You know, they get to opt in if they want to have it or not have it public. And then it's like, these are great, talented people. There is no reason you shouldn't be hiring them. Let me support you. Yep. Making your job to support people who are who have been kind of let go, downsized, layoff, whatever we're calling it, that to me is leadership too. And in, in this environment, this is the opportunity. And the transparency to say, hey, I, we didn't, we didn't get what we wanted this year. We have to downsize, but I'm going to make sure that every single one of you land in the right place. I'm going to support you to make that happen. Boom. Think of what that would do, right? Yeah. And not just and not just what it would imagine how that employee that turned around and became a client would have responded if that were a nasty experience. Oh, you're you know out. I, there are people I will not work with. <laughs> Right. I will not hire. I will not be, you know, recommend them. I will. Right. There are people. Right. Since we're not so, naming names. We'll just we are not naming them. names. Right? We'll just think about them for a second. No, no. Let's let it go. <laughs> I mean, I, I think what, you, what you're describing, especially this this last analogy that, that you were using was creating a new culture of, of just trust. Um, yes. And there's this thing that I say where it's like, there's a difference between uh, telling a child not to spill the milk and to mm -hmm. encourage them to get all the milk in the glass. Mm -hmm. And the future has, or what we're looking for in the future is more of that, hey, let's let's get all the milk in the glass because then people show up, they're less anxious, as you said, and they're probably a little bit more um, encouraged to do their job and probably go a little bit beyond. But then also in the example of, if I run into you down the road, this could be the difference between me saying, actually, I don't want to take that meeting at all versus let's do business with this person because I know that they're a good leader, if you will. Right. Exactly. And, and it's, you know, how do you make how do you make people feel? And we screw up that we make people feel bad sometimes. Either we bring our own kind of survival brain where we're being anxious and scared and all of those yeah. things, not our kind of frontal lobe, the back lobe. Like we, we do these things. But how do you correct that? What do you do and, and make those changes? It's not easy. That's the grace. That's the grace. That's the grace. Exactly. Lisa, you mm -hmm. always have so many very soulful leadership approaches to share and for that we are forever grateful um i love that you are continuing to do what what i'm sure simeon would agree is god's work <laughs> in this industry yes. um and you're bringing your heart to the table and and so with that you know we'll close out uh please let folks know how they can access the book how mm -hmm. they can access you because we need more leaders that um 
take the approach of being a modern leader and take the approach of using their soft skills as power skills so that we can create better industries forward. So how do folks find you and the book? Mm. You can go to readintentionalpower.com. That's pretty straightforward. And that'll give you all the places you can buy it. Obviously, Amazon's one of them. Um, but uh, readintentionalpower.com. You can find me, Lisa Stromberg, at LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to find me. I'm on Instagram. I just started threads. I will not go anywhere near. I'm not giving that guy my money. So I'm trying threads. Another guy I'm not sure I want to give my money to, but we'll see how that goes. Um, Ooh, uh, maybe we need to send him your book. Exactly. <laughs> people who need to read that book. I just, just, a, just a couple. There, but there are people I'm not going to waste my time with either. It's like, you know, you. And right? you know what? Lisa said, I said what I said. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, Lisa, but I will. I thank you. I just love spending my time with you too. You guys are so inspiring. And you as well. And as you guys know, we will be back with more episodes. Um, don't forget that we also have our partnership with the Advertising Club of New York. So you can catch you can catch us with Advertising Club of New York presents Mixed Company, where we are focusing on all things advertising industry and New York. Shout out to Madison Avenue. Keep in touch. You know where to find us. You know how to listen to us. We'll talk to you. Peace out. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, you guys are so amazing. I could spend hours talking to you. You guys are so amazing.